Welcome to the Turpin Birds podcast. We are on the precipice of preseason football. The Eagles this Friday take on the New York Jets. And uh, we have a very special guest, self-proclaimed New York Jets super fan or just a regular fan. Uh, Noam Benjamin is on the podcast. Uh, how you doing, Noam? Good, Ian. Thanks for having me on. I've been a subscriber, been a listener since the beginning, so happily happy to finally get that call to step up and uh be a guest we got a real one uh of all the jets fans we asked uh we we got the best one so we're, we're very happy about that, that. <laughs> and uh and we got of course uh turpin birds regular mike deegan on the podcast as well we can't forget about uh, our fellow co-host how are you doing mike yeah i'm doing well Ex- excited to have a day one day one listener as a guest now Thanks for joining us. Excited uh, to talk Jets, Eagles, Jets in general, and, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, all the different kind of characters who who's woven between those two teams. Yeah, so uh, uh, we're recording on Monday evening. Um, Had a Eagles had a few uh, practices, one live practice in front of uh, at, at the link in front of fans. Um, not, not too much, uh, too much to get into there. We'll, we might get into it later, but first, um, we'll, we'll get into the, the jets. So Eagles play the jets on Friday. They have, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of like the new era of preseason where, you know, three games, uh, starters don't play as much, uh, just to to recap, the the Jets' first round last year, they had three picks. Uh, Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati, cornerback, went a fourth overall. Garrett Wilson, the receiver from Ohio State, went tenth, and Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from Florida State, went twenty six. So, uh, a lot of exciting young guys on the Jets. Do you do you expect them to to play on on Friday? Yeah, I think um, the expectation is to have the starters go just for the first quarter. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, second year in the league, I think just get offense in a momentum. Just first quarter, keep it pretty conservative. But definitely the rookies want to get them more snaps. I, I could see, like you mentioned, those three first rounders going for the entire first half. Yeah, so of those three guys or possibly later in the draft, uh, uh, this past draft, who's like sort of flash for the Jets? Like people are saying about Jordan Davis with the Eagles, like how did he not go top five? Like uh, he's shoving Cam Jurgens 15 yards <laughs> down the field uh, right. on one-on-ones, which, you know, some – some uh, I saw Mitchell Schwartz, a former uh, chief uh, – Talk, like saying that that was like stupid one-on-ones like stop making a big deal about it but <laughs> yeah uh, a lot of offensive linemen twitter trying to like put cold water on that uh on that highlight just putting everybody on blast saying that it was a good snap i was like dang <laughs> but yeah like uh are, are these guys flashing or are they kind of just expected to to be good or or Um, You know, Sauce Gardner, number four, huge position. Obviously, when we played you guys last year, I mean, it was a total shootout. Um, No secondary. So he's going to be really relied on to jump in and be a day one starter and really help this defense come along. But another big name that's 
really high expectations, had a really strong camp so far is Brees Hall. He's the running back out of Iowa State. I think we took him 34, you know, early second round. Yeah, 36. Um, yeah, 36. Fourth, fourth pick in the second round. Yep. He, we do our homework of, here. Uh, <laughs> a lot of high hopes for him. He's looked really electric. And I know in the Mike LaFleur offense, it's a heavy running back by committee. So could be a sneaky fantasy pick. Um, he's definitely going to be in there. And even though Michael Carter is the incumbent back, a lot of projections are saying that he will take the bulk of the carries. They're really burying Braxton Berrios in the uh, in the running back depth chart there. Oh, if or he was a or running receiver, back, then that would He's be a receiver. Uh, <laughs> receiver. But all right, that's uh, that's a bit embarrassing. But um, <laughs> yeah, so okay. yeah, yeah, Berrios buried. We we like that. Um, yeah, so so. Uh, uh what was i gonna say got all got all my notes i'm all jumbled up here so oh yeah so you know you bring you bring back joe flacco to back up uh former eagle joe flacco to back up zach wilson uh you know there's not a quarterback battle there but um uh do do you what's the like thought behind him as as the backup like the the joe flacco backing up jalen hurts um you know there was no real mentoring going on there um and then obviously they they trade for for Minshew um uh, after that and and release flacco that last year so what how does flacco have a role with with the jets i guess I think anytime you can bring in a former Super Bowl MVP, you know, a veteran guy to mentor a young quarterback, it's, it's going to be a positive sign, especially considering last year, um, just some context with the Jets. Um, unfortunately, they their quarterback coach going into the season tragically passed away right before the training camp. Uh, they didn't really have a veteran backup quarterback. They had a brand new head coach, brand new offensive coordinator who had first time OC um, so you take all that, there was a huge learning curve last year that took a while to overcome. So I think this year having Joe Flacco be there, if Wilson goes down for whatever reason, we saw last year that he's very competent to take the reins. It won't be a total loss. Um, so I think it's good that he's there. I think he can really benefit and really help Zach Wilson um, as much as possible. And he's definitely moved into the veteran role. He knows his role. He's not gunning for uh there's no qb controversy here he doesn't you know doesn't want to in other teams there might be situations where the older quarterback might not want to you know give away all the secrets um i think maybe with Tannehill, there's some other quarterbacks that are kind of a little more reserved everything i hear about flacco is that he's you know him and wilson are kind of working hand in hand together so what's your take on on uh, Robert Sala like he's obviously a, a defensive former defensive coordinator you got a young quarterback you got these uh, a, a young uh, receiver first round pick you have Corey Davis um, and then you know the the young running back uh, is is he uh, like how, how's he been with the offense uh obviously you've added pieces on on defense right i think we have to rewind a little bit we we came from adam gase 
So we came that's from true. the dark side. So anything that's not Adam Gase is always a win. It's always a positive. Um, Robert Sala, I think last year, the defense was, I think, the worst, if not the worst in the league, was pretty bad. Um, and he's a defensive coach, defensive background. So the expectation was to at least coach him up a little bit. Um, he really relies on the front forward getting to the quarterback, putting pressure down. So, you know, adding Jermaine Johnson, get Vinnie Curry back. Carl Lawson went down with a season-ending injury last year. He's back. Jacob Martin, we added him. A lot of rotational guys, Solomon Thomas. Um, so the expectation is that that front four, a lot of rotating pieces, but got to get to the quarterback, and that's his system. So we saw last year, you know, we can't expect to put the pressure on Zach Wilson to – running a shootout and just keep up with the points. The defense has to be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's kind of like the, the Gannon defense of, uh, who, who didn't have a strong D line, uh, had the secondary sort of just play contain or prevent, Right. And uh, uh, and, you know, the, the whole defense was predicated upon the, the defensive line having success. Exactly. And we, uh, we didn't even have a secondary last year either. So it was a complete mess. Right. And you lose um, Marcus May. Correct. Yeah. yeah so uh, safety. At, what was that? Uh, yeah. As our safety. That's oh, yeah. definitely a concern. Um, they do have a couple of young guys. Comes in Nazardine, he's a safety. Um, he, you know, hopefully can step into that role pretty quickly. Um, I know he was had a lot of injuries last year, but I, I think with Marcus May, he was he was a good safety, but he was just getting too old. And then had, I think he had an Achilles injury last year that shut him down for the season midway through. And at that point, it just it didn't make sense to resign him for the for the cost that he was going for. Got a couple of former Eagles. You got Elijah Riley back there. Uh, the, 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 uh, uh, he, he, he grew up a Jets fan. Is that what it was? That's correct. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Let's hope uh, we don't get a ton of Elijah Riley this year. Yeah, there's Elijah Riley. You got Benny Curry. <laughs> you got Joe Douglas in the front office. Yeah. What, what's your, what's I, your take on, on Joe Douglas? Cause, uh, when he was like a big loss at the time and and it seems like you know how, how long has he been with the jets like he came on after, five years. right after the 2019 draft oh. so he came at a weird time um, yeah yeah he's had two drafts three drafts um so it's definitely a little weird um a transitioning point I, I do like Joe Douglas. I think he's done a great job turning around this franchise. It's not an easy task from the previous two general managers. Um, you know, a lot of bad contracts, a ton of bad draft picks. Um, so he had to clean out everything and kind of start from scratch. And what he did was build through the draft and committed to that. You know, I think the Jets historically in the last maybe 20 years was we're going to overpay for that free agent who's kind of over the hill but as a big name um, and, but it, it never works out. So his philosophy was scrap everybody and start from the beginning. Um, one of the really great things he did was Jamal Adams, that trade. He orchestrated a trade with Jamal Adams, who was a top 10 pick for us. 
a leader of the defense, he knew that it wasn't going to fit culturally and he knew that it wasn't going to fit to commit. I think he wanted 18, $20 million a year to a safety. So what he did was he flipped Jamal Adams for, to Seattle for two first round picks and a, and a, a couple other swaps. But those first round picks got us Garrett Wilson. They got us Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, you know, we could use that capital to regenerate uh, going forward. So I think, you know, for the moves he's done, and I, I'm, I'd give him a B plus um, based on the situation he was given. And I think the honeymoon period probably ends after this year. You know, this yeah. is kind of the last year where it's a, he signed a six-year deal. So I don't think they're going to fire him. But if we don't see some real incremental progress this year, I wouldn't be surprised if they put some sort of mandate on 2023 about getting to the playoffs or, you know, we're really going to um, be a little more aggressive. Yeah, it feels like you're sort of at the end of the, um, you know, fixing the previous regime's problems. And now you're kind of like uh, similar with the Sixers, like Daryl Morey fixing. Yeah. And now, yeah. It is his team. Um, 95% of the players on the roster were came from him, his decisions. So, you know, this will be Salah's second year, his third year. Um, I think after this year, depending on how things look, it's it's going to push the chips in the middle for him. Now, Noam, you talk about Zach Wilson. It wasn't um, it wasn't too long ago. Sam Darnold was drafted. Um, trying to rack my brain now. Was that a Joe Douglas pick, or did he come in? Was that a pick, or was he? No. Uh, Darnold was drafted by our previous general manager, Mike McCagnin. Gotcha. In 2018, we were at number six. We traded up three second-round picks to move up to number three, and we took him there. So a lot of draft capital. um, But, you know, I was a big fan of Darnold in the beginning. I really thought he had the talent, um, but they just never could build around him. And Uh then when they shipped him to Carolina, and we saw what happened there last year, it's kind of like, you know what? made the right decision by getting him. I think we got a fourth round pick for him, uh, a fourth and a second, I think. So again, another example of Joe Douglas wheeling and dealing, as they like to say, and, you know, getting the value uh, at the peak before yeah. they fell off too, too much. Yeah. I think both uh, the, the Adams trade that you pointed out and getting off Darnold before his, his value plummeted even further, both good calls. And, um, you know, what's, I guess what was your mood um, when Zach Wilson was first picked? And I guess how has that changed if, if at all uh, a year later, like what's, I guess, and even like your personal mood, but if you have a good sense of like the, the wider fan base, like what's, what's kind of the, is there any kind of movement or trends one way or the other? Yeah, I think, you know, 2020, was all about the tank for the Jets. <laughs> Another year of tanking for Trevor Lawrence. You know, that was the big push. Of course, that They tanked happen. a whole year and the Eagles tanked one half of a meaningless week <laughs> 17 game. Uh, the league should be on the Jets for this. <laughs> so we didn't get Trevor Lawrence. So it came down to, I thought they were going to go Justin Fields, to be completely honest. You know, he lit up Clemson in the, the college football playoffs. He looked great. I was a big fan of um, Justin Fields coming out of college. I really thought he was going to be the pick. 
at the end of the college football season. Then you kind of go into the combine and the senior bowl and the Zach Wilson kid comes up and, you know, there had been a few games, you know, that he had seen some highlights, didn't know much about him. Um, I think there were some really easy narratives to go against um, that went against him. There was a, there's like a joke running around that he comes from like a three car garage family and, you know, <laughs> You know, he's never takes it. never have to work a day. He's everything's handed to him. But if you look into the stories pre-draft, you know, during coronavirus, he would drive by himself hours and hours and hours to visit his QB coach, you know, really dedicated to the craft and becoming a better quarterback. When we took him, I'm still in that Joe Douglas and we trust. So if, if Joe says he's the guy, you know, I'm going to drop it and support Zach. Again, another thing problem with the Jets is you, you you know the young quarterback is we put too much on his shoulders and we expect him to carry the team can't let that happen so you saw a lot of interceptions the first couple of games were really really rough a lot of drop passes a lot of sacks running around the fields um it, 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 it looked like he was swimming um in over his head he then gets injured and he's out for about six games and I think during that time he was able to kind of slow things down take a break and really like dive into the playbook and figure out some of those mechanical issues that were causing those problems. When he came back, maybe he, I don't think he threw a single interception, maybe one. Um, he really seemed to like turn the page from first half of the season to the second half of the season. So that's what a lot, I think, you know, people who scouted Zach, people who are fans, if you believed in him before the draft, you're, gonna, you're still going to believe him. If you doubted him before the draft, you're still going to come up with reasons to doubt him. There's still that everyone's still, I don't think anyone's been swayed one way or the other because the sample size just isn't there. You know, mm -hmm. first half of the season last year looked really bad. Second half looked really, really strong. Went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tom Brady. Uh, you know, I know we, we had a nice shootout with you guys um, uh, later in the season. He looked really good. Um, so it, he's he's progressing. And I think training camp so far this year, has looked a lot better compared to training camp last year. Uh, we just had our green and white scrimmage last year. It was a disaster, sack, fumble, interception, everything. This year it looks a lot more competent, a lot more in control, knows the playbook, with a lot more familiarity. So, you know, we're hoping we can continue that. I know the schedule is brutal for the Jets the first 10 weeks before it gets a little easy. Um, so we'll see, you know, one week at a time. Nice. Yeah, so, I mean, go ahead, Ian. Uh, you you mentioned the schedule. What's the uh, what's your record prediction, and where does that kind of land the Jets? Uh, you know, come playoff time. Uh, you know, as a rational Jets fan, I really think we can go seventeen and zero to Super Bowl. Uh, that's as conservative as it gets. Um, no, but for real, I I think you know. Two years ago, it was two wins. Last year, it was four wins. There's been that little progress. I really think this year, the floor is six wins, but I'd really like to see six to eight. I know the over-under for them is about five and a half, if I'm not mistaken. So I really think that they could beat that. Um, you know, the schedule is tough. I know we play every NFC North team the first four weeks of the season. It's, it's a very odd schedule. Um, so, you know, week one against Baltimore, Lamar, um, at least we're at home for that one. So that's going to be a tough one. That's, but, you know, that can really set the tone. You know, if you, you know, if you win week one, that can carry you for two or three weeks. Whereas traditionally the Jets, 
you know, are one in five in October and everyone's looking at the drafts at that point. And, you know, I think Jets fans are kind of tired of that mindset and that type of play. So it's really like a, this year is you really, you know, with the additions of free agency, the O-line, the draft, the receivers, the defense, it's got to be better than, than last year. just has to be. So, you know, as Philly sports fans, we've had our share of disappointment for sure. Uh, a lot of at least football disappointment in, in our lifetimes have been in the playoffs. Um, and uh, most recently, uh, basketball wise has been in the playoffs. As a Jets Knicks fan, how would you, you know, like, how, how would you describe your, your sports upbringing? And because, uh, you know, we were spoiled with the Eagles in the early 2000s uh, when it going to four straight uh, or was it three or four straight N- NFC championship games? Um, Just I, rub it in. Slip, slips the mind. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, the Sixers not making it out of the second round has been, uh, you know, more and more of a feeling like we're cursed uh, the last few years, but uh, you know, I'm sure you can empathize or sympathize, whatever with that feeling, but uh, growing up uh, uh, a Knicks fan, you know, you, you kind of, you know, we're early nineties, but by the time you're, you're, you know, cognizant of, of these things, you're, you're kind of past the nineties Knicks era and, uh, and, you know, the Jets have uh, never really been good in our lifetime besides the uh, Tebow and uh, uh, Mark Sanchez. Sanchez. Yeah. The Another Eagles-Jets uh, swap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in Connecticut and a lot of Pats fans, you know, early 2000s, mid-2000s, late 2000s, uh, heart of the Belichick-Brady just gauntlet. Uh, you know, just as tough as it gets and obnoxious as they get (laughs) um you know they just win every year so they kicked our butts it was definitely tough um have to deal with that and it's it wasn't easy and you know you also another spoil is that with the local broadcast you always get the eagles games no problem in connecticut it's the patriots no problem so jets games on tv very rare uh, more often than not, I would be going on some sketchy website to find a broken link that would be buffering half the time uh, just to watch the Jets. Uh, as far as memories go, not a lot of positive memories. Um, the last great memory is probably the divisional round 2010 or 11 when we beat the Patriots. Um, that's the Bart Scott can't wait game. Um, that pinnacle. I mean, those, those years where back-to-back AFC championship games – 2010, 2011. Um, Revis Island. Revis Island, Sanchez, uh, Sean Green, uh, Nick Mangold. I mean, so many great players. The Berkshaw Ferguson. Um, and so it's been a long time for Jets fans. It's been, it's been hard uh, to be a Jets fan. There's no, you know, like to say, there's no bandwagon Jets fans. Nobody, nobody's jumping on this team right now. It's, you know, everyone who's a fan is really passionate and dedicated about the team, you know, really wants to see them do well. And uh, have you ever met Fireman Ed or, uh, or seen him in person? Like, whoa. <laughs> I feel like so, he's the, uh, the, that really big Eagles fan that has the pads on all the time. Exactly, exactly. 
so it's funny. My I became a Jets fan when I was in third grade. I was invited to a Jets game, Jets versus Vikings, um, October 2002. Jets won 20 to 7, uh, Meadowland Stadium, and I just became a fan ever since. So I, I never met the guy, but I have I've only been to one game, and that's kind of what springboarded this uh, fandom. So was that a that's like a self uh, created fandom? Like your family is right. in, aren't Jets right. fans? Nobody with a number, you know, nobody with any kind of IQ would you know make yeah. their child be a Jets fan. It's just <laughs> it's just crazy uh, the things we do, the pain that we take. But you know, been there for a while. So do you feel any? You know, I, I've been to New York a couple of times, but I've not lived in New York or, or sort of lived up there. Is, is there a Jets Giants sort of uh, rivalry within the city? Like I, I would imagine they're, they're not rivals. You know, they, they're not in the same division. They don't play each other that often. Right. They're not rivals in, in a football sense, but in a like, you know, fans in the same city play in the same stadium. I or is it kind of like big brother, Giants, little brother? I think it's, I mean, it's gotta be big little, big brother, little brother. Um, but they did beat the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. So, you know, they, they, they knocked off the perfect season. I really, Jets fan, I mean, Giants fans and their team, it's I'm very indifferent about them. It's, it's the Patriots that I think really just drives every Jets fan crazy. Yeah, because like the in hockey, Rangers, Islanders, they're in the same division. Uh, right. Nets, Knicks are in the same conference or technically division. Uh, so it, it is interesting to have a two sport city, which we're obviously not not used to. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, Mike, you got you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I got a few ones. Uh, just looking at the roster here. Um, some funny quirks. You got uh, Michael Carter, Michael Carter to the second. MC2. You got a, right. You got a Brees Hall and then you have a Bryce Hall. Are there any other like funny quirks on this roster? So <laughs> um, a funny story about the two Michael Carters, because they were drafted both last year. When they submitted the pick, they, you know, put Michael Carter running back uh, UNC. Pick goes in. Mm-hmm. ESPN, they show the other Michael Carter defensive back from Duke, and they're like, whoa, 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 that's not <laughs> what we wanted. Like, and then we ended up taking uh, that Michael Carter two rounds later. So, just pretty funny how that worked out. Oh, funny. Um, any other quirks? Maybe putting me on the spot here. Um, uh, you know, I mean, sauce not. that's more of. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, think I like sauce. sauce. We're talking Carter. about sauce. Uh... Or uh, as the veterans are calling him, Ahmed Gardner, until he uh, <laughs> he earns that <laughs> sauce. So pretty, pretty funny. Um, funny. He definitely brings some that mentality to the defense that's been lacking the last couple of years. Nice, uh, Ian. I can't believe you forgot to mention. There's there's at least three that I'm seeing here now. Uh, former Eagles at some point. Uh, Will Parks. You know he was he was and he's Eagle from North long, Philly. But... Will Parks. Yeah. Nice. Former Bronco, former Eagle. Um, there's one. Uh, th- oh yeah, uh, Vinny Curry, longtime Eagle. Um, you know he hasn't been on any other team than the Jets. 
he had his health scare. I want to say it was last year. He I know he was out for the season last year. I don't know if it was a health scare or just a physical injury. Uh, yeah, I think it was some out. sort of like blood disorder. So it was something like um, out of the ordinary, but obviously very serious. And uh, Ian, the the hot name Nate Herbig, the guy who requested forgot about Nate a trade, now lands with Joe Douglas with the Jets. I mean, how big of a splash was that? I mean, that's a really deep position at right guard there with uh, Vera Tucker and Herbig. So, you know, you got, <laughs> you know, if, if Becton's, if Becton, uh, you know, lives up to. Well, that's what, a whole, that's a breaking news story. I don't know if you guys have heard of Becton. What? Breaking oh, news? Yeah. So today at practice, he, he fell over, something happened, you know, grabbed his knee, um, left practice. At the press conference this afternoon, they were like, "Yeah, not concerned. Run some tests, but should should be pretty fine." Then tonight, more news comes out. They don't feel as confident that he's going to be okay. Um, oh. Yeah, it, it looks pretty. They don't know what it is, but they're not as optimistic as they were earlier today. Like an ACL. Uh, they don't know yet, but it's yeah. last year. There was a freak injury week one where somebody rolled up on his knee. Um, and they said six to eight weeks, he'll be back. He's out for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, every six weeks comes along, two more weeks, two more weeks, three more weeks, and then it's will be reevaluated in two weeks. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. every, all Jets fans right now are like, we're never going to see him again. You know, this yeah. is it. So who knows what's going to happen, but someone that size who's got an injury history at such a premium position, it's definitely a little scary. So they're reaching out to Dwayne Brown, um, maybe sign him to be our left tackle, you know, 37 years old, but um, can still play the position very well. And we definitely could use, I mean, you know how this left tackle is so important to a quarterback. Yeah. You can see what Jason Peters is up to. He's always, he's <laughs> always wanting to show up to an interview. <laughs> um, two see, more things for me. Sorry. Um, last year, Mike White kind of turned into a bit of a folk hero. Um, is there still like a contingent of the Jets who are, um, you know, at least wanting to see him get some snaps in preseason, see if he can flash? Maybe like, I like you know, knock on wood, you you want to keep Zach Wilson healthy. If something was to happen and you needed uh, a guy to step up and you know, put together a comeback, do you think they would put in Joe Flacco, or, or is he more of kind of like a mentor at this point? And could you like? Could you see Mike White step back in at some point if, you know, that was needed? Absolutely. So I think with uh, Mike White, there was that great game against Cincinnati, 400 yards, but there's also the game against Buffalo, you know, interception after interception. He is still very raw. Um, I think the plan for Mike White is for him to play, you know, all second half of every preseason and probably the whole game of the third preseason game. Um, and find a trade partner. If someone goes down, I think, you know, they'll, they might stash him in the practice squad, but he'll be taken pretty quickly. So if they can get any kind of value for him in a trade, I think the Jets would sign up for that pretty quickly. You want, they want Joe Flacco to take the reins if anything goes down. I think Mike White to Joe Flacco is, you know, worlds apart right now. I gotcha. Uh, last thing I got for you, um, Elijah Moore, obviously, um, you know, I, I think he he probably doesn't get the 
the respect that he's, you know, earned last season, especially with the, um, you know, very big contingent of like young, flashy, talented wide receivers in the league. It seems like every, every team at least has one now, but we saw what he was able to do against the Eagles last year. And even this, um, this preseason, uh, I don't know. It, I'm not sure if it's, if it reached, uh, the Jets part of Twitter, but at one point somebody was asking, and, uh, AJ Brown, like he was saying that, like, he's always like just looking up stuff online, seeing what's what. And he actually dropped Elijah Moore. Like he was looking at some of his tape to steal some of like his, uh, his moves at the top of his route. I thought that was interesting. Um, but then you get Garrett Wilson, you know, it's a very talented um, duo. And that's not even counting what Corey Davis can provide at this point in his career. It's whoa, whoa, whoa. What about Denzel Mims? Hey, you got Mims and I, we... I sold my Mims stock a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Dare we forget uh, Braxton Barrios as well? But, but I mean, it's... listen, Braxton just signed a, a, a three year deal, like two years guaranteed this past offseason. He was all pro as a kick returner. Yeah. But, you know, he became that safety valve for Zach Wilson and became really important to our offense, which is not something you would expect it when we picked him up. Um, I think this year's going to be a little different because we have a little more depth. But you know, Braxton was, it was great for us. I think um, him and Zach have a great chemistry, but a big thing for Zach this year is the addition of two new tight ends, uh, CJ Uzama and uh, Conklinge. Uh, that is something that the Jets have been lacking is a tight end group for the last 10 years. So mm-hmm. you got that with the new receivers. I think he's really going to have a, a really great step from year one to year two. Gotcha. I feel like what, I mean, I didn't watch too much Vikings football, but I feel like every, uh, every tight end pass to to Conklin was like a big gain. Like he, he seems like a really solid guy and looking on the Jets depth chart is their second guy uh, to uh, Zoma. I think, Uh, I think what I'm hearing from camp is uh, Conklin could be TE one just based off chemistry so far. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid pickup. Yeah, and and the offense that they run, which is like the West Coast Shanahan offense, is so dependent on, besides running backs, is the tight end group. So we went from Dan Brown and uh, Travis Wesco last year, a bunch of nobodies, to two really, really great guys. And then we drafted another tight end from Ohio State, Jeremy Rucker. Um, He was injured in the offseason, so he's going to be a slow rehab. But um, I think – once he gets ramped up, he'll be uh, a nice addition to the to the tight end room as well. Things are looking up for the Jets. It sounds like there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> oh man, what's um? I guess what's your prediction for the uh, the division? I think New England's really gonna fall. I think they're not gonna be the same team they were from last year. Um, but I think you have to go Buffalo, number one. They're Super Bowl, one of the Super Bowl favorites for sure. Mm-hmm. Miami, I think Miami is more of a wild card. Uh, is Tua going to make that leap? Right. You know, Tyreek Hill, you've got the new coach. Uh, are they going to be the team to give Buffalo a run for their money? That's the big unknown. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh... Mac Jones definitely looked like a rookie in the playoff, uh, in the playoffs last year. 
Um, I'm not sure. I, 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 it feels like the dolphins are similar to the Eagles and that they have a strong team around a, a unknown quarterback. I think that um, Jalen hurts, you know, I, I, I can't say I watched too, too much dolphins football and you hear the national. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. So the, the, the national, um, you know, talk about Tua and, and Jalen are, are kind of similar and watching Jalen hurt so much and uh, you know, seeing him interact with the press and, and with coaches and uh, seeing him play and how his teammates like him and stuff. But you, I'm not seeing that with Tua, not that it's not there, but you know, I'm not like uh, as watch as much watching the dolphins. So um, I might sound homerish, but, you know, I think I have a little more faith in, in Jalen Hurts and what they did last year and, um, and, and the guys that they brought in this year uh, with the Eagles. But it, it is similar, like I'm not sure how far Tua can uh, take them if he's, uh, you know, has more of an injury history and, and you know, might not run as much or, or you know isn't as accurate of a passer so i i agree with you that that they're a wild card not uh, as in a wild card team because if they're going to get in they they need to be a wild card team because they're not going to win the division but uh they're a wild card and you know there's high variance of where they could end up throughout the season i i, I don't know who their backup quarterback is um but you know if to, to has had some injury issues. He's had, he's been benched. Like there's, there's all these, uh, uh, different variables down there. And I think the, the Patriots are, I wouldn't write them off as confidently as, as you do. Like the, it's still <laughs> Belichick. It's still like, I mean, who's their offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't know now that, uh, they McDaniels got some rotating characters. I don't believe, I think Mac Jones is good. A- but I think Matt Patricia, right? Oh yeah. Isn't Matt Patricia doing their offense for whatever reason? Defensive coordinators now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't have to tell me that's a bad idea. (laughs) Any, any other team that tries that, I mean, they're getting clowned by the whole league, but I guess the Patriots, they've earned a pass for now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just to answer your question, I, I look at the standings from last year and it's, it's tough for me to see like any true reshuffling. Like I think maybe there's a tightening of the pack um, between, you know, the the three non-Bills teams. But um, I I agree with you, and I I still think the Patriots have a very high floor of competency. Uh, I do think Mac Jones, even though he's not flash or anything, he's he's um, you know he he doesn't. He doesn't really have too many disaster games, or at least so far in his career. It's like um, a Matt Matt Ryan at this point, like Kirk Cousins, like that type of quarter Tannehill, like that type of quarterback that can like give you consistent, like okay, yeah. solid. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's predictable. Very predictable. Yeah, game manager. And I, I am mobile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. Like I, the Dolphins strike me as like a, a very desperate team. Um, they have 
obviously like every every team in the NFL has their stars. They have stars too, but like I don't see a, a very well-rounded roster, and I see a roster that's kind of pushed all their chips in. Now they're um, you know they're docked a first-round pick. I don't know. I think that might make them a bit more desperate because they don't have the same ammo that they did a week ago to go all in for a quarterback in next year's draft or as much as uh, five or six other teams like the Eagles. Uh, so this really kind of is a pretty important year for them, especially with all the uh, drama and back channeling going on with their manager or yeah, their GM and their owner. There's just like so much bad juju going on there. And I, I think that combined, um, you know, with Tua, it just seems like there's a lot that could go wrong there. But I, you know, <laughs> that's not to say that I think they'll probably end up having a better season than the Jets. But I do think, you know, once you factor in expectations, um, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to hear the Jets fans feeling a little bit better about their season once it all, once it all comes to an end. I mean, I just hope we win a division game this year. I think we're 0 12 in our last 12 division games. So it's, been rough to say the least. We really could use a win against any of those. The teams. last time they beat the Patriots in 2010. Not that bad, Ian. Come on. <laughs> well, here, here's a fun fact: the the Jets have never beaten the Eagles. That's like, true. They date, bring that so. up every time. <laughs> uh, You'd be remiss to not mention. Yeah, exactly. thank thank you for saying so. I that that's a stat that like I don't believe is true. Like it can't be true. Like <laughs> it seems so like crazy that it it's not real. But then you like they they show the the you know the game scores and all that whenever they play, and it comes up every year. So it's it's one of those like real real fun facts that it d- doesn't seem real. Um, how, how are you feeling with the, uh, kicking situation? I see you have, uh, Greg, the leg backing up Pinheiro. That's correct. Our kicking situation has been brutal since we let go of Jason Myers goes to Seattle, comes all pro pro bowler. Of course. I think he was so, on my fantasy team last year. Didn't want to give him an extra $2 million. And you know, uh, Justin Tucker that, that gets the a big deal today. So we've been struggling in the kicking game the last couple of years. Um, we brought this guy in last year, Matt Amendola, just had a, had a very strong leg, but couldn't, out of the accuracy, was dreadful. So they cut him halfway through last year. They bring in Eddie Pinheiro, who could just make an extra point, and everyone gave him a standing ovation. Like, that's how bad it was. So, like you said, kicking competition, Eddie Pinheiro, Greg Zerline, they go back and forth. We'll see. I think Eddie. Just some, you know, back of the pencil, back of the notepad, um, training camp staff. I think Eddie Pinero's up a little bit on some of those long distance field goals, but honestly, anyone competent can uh, fill the role just fine. It's good. So we got our we got our picture of the Jets outlook. We got uh, fandom stuff. I mean, you know, we're this podcast is, uh, is about, you know, fandom and fans. Like we're not beat reporters. We're, we're not 
watching anything we see some videos online so it's it's nice to get like a, a, a jets perspective from like a fan a fan perspective for for the jets um Happy and to do it. Uh, uh yeah i mean mike mike do you have anything else no uh thank you for coming on it's it's fascinating it's it's honestly like a team point of view i haven't really sat down and thought before today so um thank you yeah, thanks for thanks you guys for having me on i um i had a blast all right we'll have to have you on uh next preseason when they they play Absolutely. the jets every preseason there you go Feels good like... luck to your team this year may you stay healthy no Likewise. injuries no setbacks clean preseason get to week one all good same to you thank you thank you thank you guys all right see ya All right, so that was uh, Noam Benjamin, noted uh, Jets fan. Uh, that, that was a that was a nice little uh, little interview there. I agree. Um, yeah. So as far as a uh, training camp, uh, you know, Dillard and Mylot are still out with the concussions. Uh, and we should add Boston Scott and Boston Scott now. Oh. Yeah. A real rash of injuries just popping up. Devontae out of nowhere. Smith has a has a groin that feels more like a precaution than a. Yeah, Calcaterra is still trying to get back from his hamstring. I think there was another player with a hamstring injury. Um, it's a really who's who of who's healthy and who's injured right now. But I do think a lot of it's precautionary. Um, so far, at least. Um, trying to get a read from beat reporters like the Eagles right now don't have to give any more information besides who's practicing and what's preventing anybody from practicing. Like they're not giving any timelines at this point, but from all indications uh, from the beat reporters is, is that there's nothing serious. Like there, there doesn't appear to be any long-term, long-term injuries. So uh, you would like to see, fully healthy team taking full advantage of all the snaps, but um, you just kind of cross your fingers that you avoid any of the long-term variety. Yeah. I thought a notable note from uh, camp was uh, Reed Sinet was taking second team reps at the, uh, the open practice and yeah. uh, minchie has been having a really bad camp. Uh, I, I, I'm that, that's like a, I don't, I don't even know what to think about that. Like it, it's like, I don't think there's much, like, I, I think it's, it's a storyline to, to, to follow. I think, um, I don't think it really means anything as far as his standing in the quarterback room. I think Minshew is solidly the backup, but I think what it is, is it's a signal to, um, Sinet, like they're they're rewarding him for his performance so far. They're giving him that chance to get snaps with the second team, um, you know, because just like uh, Nate Sudfeld, he's a he's a guy who probably has aspirations of being a starting quarterback some year with some team. But ultimately, I think what it really means is he's he's finally taken the the leap above. Carson strong, or I shouldn't say finally, cause that kind of infers that he was behind Carson. I think he has separated himself from Carson strong 
and I now think Carson Strong is like he'd be he'd be fortunate to get that uh, practice squad spot because from what I've seen, he's not been throwing the ball like well at all. A lot of it's the knee condition. Yeah, but this is like he—he's not even throwing well with his arm. It's—it's kind of, uh, you know, under the under the bright lights of uh, Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah, or Novacare, I should say. Um, Some more stats. Uh, One other storyline we're following, according to Elliot Shore Parks, the running back splits. Um, as far as touches go, all three running backs are similar with Miles Sanders with 29, Gainwell and Boston Scott with 27 each. Uh, Sanders is getting the majority of the carries. He had 23 carries, six catches. Gainwell, uh, a little more even, 16 carries, 11 catches. And Boston Scott, 18 carries, nine catches. Um so it, all all signs from that uh, tell me that it's going to be another sort of by committee uh, running back situation, which is in line with what they've been doing the last few years. Uh, Miles Sanders being the the favorite of of the three with a, a little more uh, action, but uh, it, it does seem like. You know, it could just be training camp and we'll see during the season, but it, it does seem like he's not really RB1. Uh, he's RB1, like, as far from a talent perspective, but, like, from a, a, a play a diversity of of, carry, uh, of options or, or whatever, is mm-hmm. uh, it seems like he's still kind of RB1A with, and they're uh, a Gainwell and Scott are kind of one B one B one, one B two. You want to keep adding digits. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think, um, you know, they want to spread the ball, spread the snaps with preseason. They, they want everybody to get ready because we knew, we know last year, like, I don't think they would ever have the intention of, you know, give like the, starting snap to like Boston Scott or um, Kenny Gainwell if Miles Sanders is healthy, but should one of those, should one or one or two of those players not be available, they want to have um, the other guy ready to step in and fill, fill in the spot because we know with the offensive line, with how talented they are and with what Jalen Hurts um, helps unlock in the offense, any three of those guys can really have a very good contribution to a running game without like being a premier back. The Eagles offense really is kind of like anybody can step in and be that productive running back. So I think it's more of getting them ready. Um, but they also want to, you know, each of those running backs provides a little bit of a different skill set. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard thing about training camp and, uh, you know, before pre- even preseason is we're, we're, we're not there, we're not seeing tape, we can't really formulate our own opinions on, on the play. Um, what, do you, what do you give to the 
are, are the practices not far enough? There's there Nick Sirianni said they're not hitting for for practice. Um, the the keeping them healthy versus game real game scenarios. Like, do you expect a slower start? Is this just how the NFL's trending? Like, uh, I get on you know, WIP, a lot of people are calling up saying they, they should be hitting and they should be doing this and that. And, and the, they're, it, it's soft and this and that, but, uh, uh, I, I do, I do wonder like, you know, is the defense really this much better than the offense? Is the offense bad? The offense has been inconsistent. Hertz has looked good, uh, but inconsistent. The defense, you know, seems pretty, pretty solid and obviously Jalen's not running as much um because he shouldn't be in in a practice environment he should be able to work on what he's not as good at which is throwing yeah i i can't find a topic to be like like i find it to be like so uh not that it's uninteresting but like i just can't follow the logic of like why would you why would you go against what your your medical team is recommending? Like, they're not doing this just because they're doing it because there's experts on their team who say that you can help increase the odds of soft tissue injury prevention. Like, that's not that's not that's not saying that it makes it you're not impervious to injury. We know that very clear right now considering the list of guys who are hampered with stuff, but if it at all helps, why wouldn't you do it? Like, and I, I guess like a, the devil, the devil's advocate could say that um, your team could be unprepared come the season. And we, maybe we saw a bit of that last year, but I, I don't think there's enough of a, like, I, I just, I think that there's a larger, uh, picture of evidence that suggests the prevention of soft tissue injury than the alleged um, unpreparedness. Like, you know, if there was evidence that says like, you need to tackle more and earlier on to be ready for uh, weeks one through four, then fine. If that information becomes available and it's um, statistically relevant, sure. But with the information uh, the team has in its hands, uh, you know, do do what you can to get ready. Do it safely. It's not like they're not hitting at any point. Uh, like they're hitting last night in practice. They have developmental periods, and I know this isn't for the starters or the second team or the third team, but like they do have points in practice where they do allow, uh, you know, thud and tackle to the ground. So. I find the the discussion of, you know, 2022 football, is it soft? Like, as a different generation of football players, like, oh boy. It, it, you know, it reminds me so much of like uh, the analytics, like discussion in any sports, like is analytics killing the game? It's like, no, you're just, you're not familiar with this and you're afraid of change. And it sounds like the sport that you grew up is like softening on you, but it's really just, changing and bits and pieces and you know some people take issue with that yeah i i don't i don't view it as soft from like uh 
toughness, like uh, toughness, manly perspective. I do wonder if um, not playing the way that, you know, not practicing the way that the game will be played will uh, hamper them or, or, or in any way or, or have them start slower or uh, that kind of thing. Um, I, I do think it, there is, like, I understand, but there is some silliness in, like, the the doctors are saying that you you shouldn't hit and practice to prevent injury like they're they're doctors they're not football doctors they're doctor doctors i mean they're they're i mean they are sports medicine doctors it's it is it's sports medicine but still like your doctor would probably recommend you not playing football at all uh to to prevent injury um Uh, i think they're, I think the scope of what they're recommending isn't like <laughs> we recommend not smashing your heads together, but if you're going to do it, we recommend only doing it once a week. Yeah. Uh, but even this, uh, the, the black cap thing they have on their helmets, they still have two concussions. So, I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't wear it, but I'm just saying that, that there's precautions being uh, put in place that are still you know not helping yeah not and doing that, as much that's where i'd go but back to say it's you it's don't have a, data on who's who who was saved from a concussion that's a good point and that's gonna that was gonna be what similar to what i was gonna say which is these are preventative measures they're not um you know, guaranteed to prevent. They're things that help your odds. They're not guarantees. So um yeah, your odds of staying healthy, not your right. odds of winning. Right, right. Um, which uh you know they're they're human beings, like being healthy is a top priority, like it is a game. Um but uh as as from a like I I'm I d I don't I, I like I should say I'm more inclined to have your perspective on all of this, but I, all I'm questioning is if there is a football element to it that they're losing out on by not uh, having some more like real game situation drills. Um, If it's uh, as easy to, you know, adjust for in, in at the first half of the first week, or if it's a four week thing, I mean, their schedule kind of, uh, allows them to be able to figure things out along the way as they play the Lions week one and the Vikings are probably going to take a step back. But, uh, you know, the other side of that is every team is dealing with this and, uh, you know, it's probably an even playing field, but, um, as far as, not fully practicing um you know i I just find it interesting that that the league's changing and uh there might be disadvantages to some of it yeah i think i also think like the the team puts a lot of a lot of importance and emphasis on the scrimmages and during those periods it is a much more 
uh, like physically demanding period of time. And I do think like part of it is the ramp up period. You know, they don't even put on the pads for like the first four or five practices because, you know, they're getting people back in camp. You know, people to get a sense of the playbook before they're like, you know, hitting people with pads on. They want people to find their legs so they're not predisposed to like aggravating anything. And I like I do think that's kind of when that talking point is at its loudest is like when there's really nothing to talk about. But then once you know you start to get uh, acclimated back into your real football with pads and you're scrimmaging the other team. But then it kind of comes back with the argument of like, should the Eagles be resting all of their starters throughout all of preseason? Like, is that going to get them? And then it kind of, you know, peaks its head back up and you kind of start having that conversation again of like, when is being too cautious uh, a bad thing? Which, you know. It's only a bad thing if they lose games. Right. It's only bad if the outcome is uh, the one you were hoping not for in retrospect. The one you weren't hoping for. Right. Hoping not for. Yeah. All right. I, <laughs> I, I think we've, uh, we've, we've run the course. Uh, do, you have, do you have any final? Two things. things. Two things. Um, we didn't mention uh, the Deshaun Watson, the initial ruling from the, the third-party disciplinarian judge, uh, she looked at all the evidence, and we should say that she didn't look at all of the cases. The NFL, um, they had a very narrow scope of the cases, I think, where there were four cases that the judge, Sue Robinson, looked at. Um, very uh, long report that she released, but ultimately she recommended six games based off of the precedent the NFL has set in its past, which, you know, angered everybody, uh, or at least most people, I would say, most reasonable fans and people. Uh, And since then, the league has appealed that decision. They're looking for a harsher um, suspension and fine. And we don't know exactly when um, the new judgment will come down but it sounds like all the league sources are anticipating um, something more severe in the ballpark of a an indefinite suspension that could be one year with a reinstatement, likely after one full season. Um, so yeah, I, I think that will. It sounds like we should hear what what the status is on that sometime by the end of this week. Uh, it obviously puts the um, the Browns in a very precarious situation that they inserted themselves into by making this trade and giving him the largest guaranteed contract in the NFL. Um, and kind of, it's it's interesting because the Eagles will obviously be going out to Cleveland for is it the the second it's round the of second, scrimmage. Yeah. So the like second game, yeah. It'll be timing right around the when that fallout will come to be. Um, any comment on that? Uh, well, I, I was glad to hear that they're looking for a more severe suspension. I think a lot of the 
um, talk around it has been, um, you know, comparing it to the Calvin Ridley season suspension that uh, sexual misconduct uh, against, you know, over 25, 30 women um, is equal or is at the moment less than equal to betting on a game he wasn't even playing in. Um, the the Browns statement uh, saying Deshaun Watson is uh, remorseful is uh, you know blatantly inaccurate. Um, uh, right. Kyle Brand on the NFL Network um, had a few good clips on Twitter. I recommend watching. Um, uh, his perspective, I think, was pretty spot on. Um, you know, the, the fact the contract was backloaded. So the first year's base salary was $1 million. So even if he did get suspended for the full season, he would lose 1 million out of 200 plus, um, Mm -hmm. guaranteed, uh, all these things are pretty, um, uh, you know, upsetting and, you know, the, the, the NFL or the Browns or whatever it is, uh, enabling, the the behavior and protecting the the player um you know that shows where a lot of priorities are uh, at and uh, i think it's all very upsetting and i you know i hope it is indefinite and um you know with potential to be more than just the season because i think the uh the precedent they're setting is not um you know a positive one uh, for, you know, everyone, especially, uh, you know, women in general, women fans of, of the NFL. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think it's, it's upsetting. Uh, it's, I thought the appeal was positive. I'm not really sure the specifics of the evidence and, and the scope of the six games and all that. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm not as informed on, on the process, but, uh, it, it doesn't seem like he's remorseful. He still maintains he did nothing wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, doesn't see coercion and power dynamics and intimidation as, uh, you know, tools of, uh, doing anything wrong. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a upsetting situation and, uh, each day that goes by I'm more and more, uh, glad the Eagles didn't, um, yeah, been- sign him or trade for him, even though, uh, I'm sure they did their due, due diligence and, uh, would, would have wanted to, um, uh, I hope that that was only for, uh, you know, football reasons and, uh, for the human reasons of it, uh, they, they decided not to. Uh, make the trade. I don't know if we'll ever know if it was a compensation thing or if it was a moral thing, but uh, uh, I'm I'm just really happy. I'm not a Browns fan. Is uh, is another element to yeah. this besides all the other things aforementioned. But yeah, I think Kyle Brandt's a couple of clips on there from um, Good Morning Football or whatever show he's on is were uh, pretty pretty solid. Uh, commentary yeah well put um and we'll close on a bit of a brighter note the fills the fills the fills are hot the fighting castellanos is back uh for now hoskins 
August you know, Reese Hoskins has been, uh, you know, this really streaky player. And I think he's had a really consistent year this year. And uh, uh, I think, I don't know how many more years he has left. This must, might be his last year, but uh, you know, Derek Hall has been positive. He's being blocked by Reese or Bryce or Castellanos, whoever's going to be DH or first base, <laughs> a real Muto even. Um, so that's unfortunate, but uh you know, he's, he's be proving valuable. Maybe he'll be an off season trade or something. Uh, but I, I think Reese is uh, sort of the unsung, you know, batting behind Schwarber's getting all the attention um, ahead of Cassianos for most of the year. Now, boom, you know, um, team Reese. We even got, um, I guess we haven't even mentioned the Brandon Marsh acquisition and the, well, we are a Phillies podcast, so uh, it's pretty shocking we haven't mentioned the trade deadline acquisitions. <laughs> hey, man, I was looking at the uh, their playoff prediction percentages. There, they're going up. They're feeling pretty good. Yeah, it, it's it's a close race in the wild card. Like I think I think that's the only way we'll get in is through the wild card. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty the, good, though. the I Mets think just there's... swept the Braves, didn't they? Or took two or three or something. Uh, yeah, they 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 took care of business. And uh, the Dodgers them. swept the Padres, I believe. So that was very helpful for the Phillies. Um, yeah, I'm 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 hoping for that second wild card spot. Yeah, we might have to nice. play the Mets, but uh, it has been a while. Probably will have to play the Mets actually. So that that'll be a nice uh, first series to as a gut punch in the playoffs, but uh, at least we'll we'll get there. So we don't we can we'll stop saying eleven years. We'll have the overlapping Phillies and Eagles going deeper than usual. Haven't had that in over a decade, so it's it's weird. Like usually I'm in full. I haven't even watched Hard Knocks yet. Usually I'm in full football no. mode now because the Hard Knocks the Phillies comes out tomorrow. So tomorrow, yeah. That's what I saw. I thought it was Sunday. I think I saw August 9th. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I saw, I saw there was a clip of uh, the Lions. Jamal Williams. Yep. Breaking down the team. Yeah. Yep. So, um, all right. So we'll be back after the preseason game against the Jets. Football's back. It's upon us. It's the week of uh football so it's back we will have an eagles game every week for the foreseeable future or do they take a week off before the season oh i'm not sure i don't know gotta (laughs) gotta look at the calendar i think there's uh, an intermediary like there there's like a gap yeah yeah all right well we creep ever closer to uh actual real football so yeah uh yeah and thank you noam again um he's a real one loyal listener must be weird to uh be on the podcast you're a loyal listener for but uh he'll he'll have a great experience uh listening uh later um so we'll we'll be back after the game for mike i'm ian thanks for listening